You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. Well, we now come to Psalm uh, 26, which we have uh, just we have just sung. And Psalm 26 is a psalm of David, uh, another one where he is crying out to the Lord to be vindicated or to be judged rightly in the situation, again, he finds himself in. So let us come now, uh, hear these words of Holy Scripture, Psalm 26 of David. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence, and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep me away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices, and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground, and the great assembly I will bless the Lord. Well, Psalm 26, it uh, brings many familiar themes as we've been going through the Psalms. Uh, David, especially in Psalms 1 through 41, book 1 of the Psalter, often find David uh, in times of trouble. And he, interestingly enough, he composes these Psalms, these prayers, these songs uh, in his time of need. He's as if he's writing down his prayers for us. And so Psalm 25, we looked at last evening, he was uh, in a similar situation where he was surrounded or he was being maligned or he was in deep trouble. We're not told exactly what it was, but he was asking and calling out to the Lord that he would vindicate him, that he would show that David was in the right, that his enemies were really spewing falsehoods and lies against him. The difference, though, with Psalm 25 is that in it, David also highlights the fact that he himself is a sinner coming before a holy God. And so in those prayers, though, he's asking for help. He's also confessing his sins and falling upon the mercy of God. As we'll see in Psalm 26, there's a similar theme of calling out to the Lord for help in times of trouble. But the psalm takes a shift Instead of David continuing to confess his sins, he's confessing the Lord's goodness and he's rejoicing that he's in the presence of the Lord. And actually Psalm 26 through Psalm 32 are are these psalms that deal with being in the sanctuary, in, in the presence of God. What I find interesting is putting 25 and 26 together where David prays for the forgiveness of his sins and Psalm 26 has him in the presence of the Lord, rejoicing that he is in the presence of the Lord. And so Psalm 26, it it deals with forgiveness and holiness and ethics. And as we have just just sung this song, it calls us in similar ways to walk in integrity as David did. And so we see this this living righteously and dwelling in 
God's presence, that these go hand in hand. Uh, and so this evening we'll look at this psalm and it's, it seems as if it's, it's paired throughout. So the, the beginning and the end uh, really focus on the past and the future. In verse 1, David speaks about the way he has walked. I have walked in integrity. And then in verses 11 through 12, he speaks of the fact that I will walk in integrity. And verses 2 through 3, he invites God to examine him. Lord, prove me, test me. And then in verses 9 through 10, he invites God to respond and save him. Do not sweep me away with the wicked, but save me. And then right in the middle of the psalm in verses 4 and 5 and verses 6 through 8, he, he confesses his innocence. The first part in verses 4 through 5, he confesses what he hasn't done. I haven't dwelt among the wicked. And in verses 6 through 8, he confesses his innocence, but positively, I've washed my hands in innocence. I'm, I'm ceremonially, I'm clean before you, and I come around your altar proclaiming thanksgiving and telling of your wondrous deeds. And so we'll look at it as we walk through this psalm. When well, verse 1, again, David speaks of in the past, he has walked uprightly or he has walked in integrity. I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. And again, it's instructive to remember that that's why David is praying, that he trusts in the Lord, and his very act of prayer is the fact that he trusts. But he's, he's coming before the Lord, and he's saying, vindicate me, or it comes from the same root in Hebrew as judge or judgment. Really, he's saying, Lord, judge me. It's as if he's come to the, the bar, to the dock in God's courtroom. And there God, the great judge of the universe, David stands before him. And there's this situation where it's likely that there are these false accusations. He's being slandered and maligned. Then he comes into God's presence and he says, judge between me. Judge me now, Lord. You know the way in which I have walked, the ways in which I have trusted, and yet there are these enemies accusing me falsely. And so he prays that the Lord would render judgment and prove that he is, in, uh, the, he is innocent. In the second part of verse 1, I have walked with integrity. Right? We don't know the lies that are being spread about him, but David is claiming that he is innocent of those. Yes, he is a sinner. We have that in Psalm 25. But here he has been walking and living in such a way that the, the, the claims that are being tossed against him are totally without warrant. This is something we've seen throughout the history of the church, that Christians have been subject of this type of slander. In the, the Roman times, they were accused actually of being atheists, funny enough. And what they meant there was that they didn't believe in the Roman gods and that they were a problem for the Roman government, that they were seditious, that they were those who hated the state and would ultimately see its downfall. Of course, these were, these were lies spread about them. And you see the same thing in modern times, uh, Christians in China being accused of, of not being, in a sense, proper, proper parts of the Communist Party, as if they're a danger to the state. And even to a much lesser extent, certainly, than, than the Roman government or the Communist Party. But in the West, it's often Christians are, are slandered as hateful or unloving just simply by holding to a biblical ethic. 
a biblical sexual ethic. And so David further claims not only has he walked in integrity, but also that he has hold, held fast to God. He's unwaveringly holding on to God in the midst of this time of trouble. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. All right, and David really is what he's saying here is that he has seen the way in which the Lord has helped him in the past. You can just go to Psalm 18 and see the way in which the Lord has helped David in the past. And all of this fuels David to have a life of trust. But it's also just a simple point that who else does David have but God? In the midst of everything collapsing around him, he has the God of heaven, the one who created the heavens and the earth. He is going, basically, he is the, the king of Israel, but he's going to the most powerful person that he knows. It would be as if one of us was in a difficult situation, but you had the queen on speed dial. And you could just simply call her up in a moment of an emergency to say, please help me out. <laughs> but here David goes even higher than that. He goes to heaven itself, to God himself, and says, Lord, help me. I think of what Peter said to Jesus when Jesus asked him if he would depart as well. Peter simply tells Jesus, honestly, where else would we go? Where else would we go? Well, this, as David is speaking of what he has done in the past, how he has trusted, how he has walked in this manner, he calls on God to prove him, O Lord, and try me, test my heart and my mind, this divine examination. In some sense, it sounds quite scary to think of that. I'm not sure that I would want to approach God in all of his holiness and say, Lord, examine my heart and my mind and know that in this situation I am acting in integrity. It would seem like a scary thing. David is in essence saying, Lord, look at me to my very core, my heart and my mind, the, 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 the totalness of my inner thoughts and beliefs, and just look at the way in which I have acted and know that I have done it in, in, in an upright and righteous way. You know, think of the recent situation a couple of years ago in Northern Ireland where there was this uh, Christian family, these, these bakers who were... Uh, accused of, of certain things. <laughs> How do you recover from that? Um, they, were, they were accused of being unloving and unchristian in their dealings with others. And through it all, they acted with integrity, even though there was lies and slander against them. And what I think we see in the Psalms is further this realism, that this is, is life. That the life of a believer is by no means an easy path. There are true enemies to God and to his people. And David says he's walked in integrity and faithfulness. And again, that doesn't mean David is walking sinlessly or that David is perfect. Or that even in whatever situation David is finding himself in, he's acted perfectly in every part of it. Like David knows he's a sinner. David knows he needs mercy. David knows, however, though, that he is, he is acting as a believer should act in this situation. Right? Just because we are sinners, just because we sin, just because we, we do the things that God tells us not to do, doesn't mean that we can't or even shouldn't walk with integrity in our lives. And in many ways, there should be, and sadly, there often isn't, 
a marked difference between Christians and non-Christians in the way they act in their facets of life. Right? The history of Christianity, it's by no means spotless. There's some truly awful things that were done in the name of Jesus Christ. But also throughout the ages, it has been the Christians who have cared for the widows and the orphans, the sick, the establishing hospitals and universities. And so David is saying he, he's acting with integrity. And, and the cause of this, the reason he can act with this integrity in verse 3 is for, he says, because your steadfast love is before my eyes and I walk in your faithfulness. There's a sense where David is, is solely focused on God's firm promises and that they're set before his eyes and they're directing him just as like blinders direct horses. They're set before him, and he is walking and, and trusting and knowing that God is one who keeps his promises. And so it's always before him, and that really causes him to walk in this way of faithfulness. You know, he has the law of God before him. He has the, the scriptures open before him. He is, he is in prayer before God, and that is, is causing him to then walk in this faithful manner. And I think we can probably all attest to the opposite of that in our own lives. The times where we, we drift away from the Lord, where we are, not, uh, you know, we are not diving into the scriptures. We are not attending faithfully to the means of grace. And like a ship without an anchor, we just kind of slowly start drifting away. We stop walking in a manner faithfully. We stop walking in a manner faithful to our calling. At least I can attest to my own life to various times when I know that that has happened. And so David moves on in his prayer from, telling, from asking the Lord to test him to then confessing his innocence. In verses 4 through 5, he speaks of what he is not doing. He says, I do not sit with men of falsehood nor consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers and do not sit with the wicked. We could really sum all of this up to say, David is saying, I have no part with this wickedness. I mean, you can see it in the way that verse 4 begins with sit and verse 5 ends with sit. And in the middle, there's this idea of consort or assembly that David is not, not in this group. Really, it's a picture of David not being influenced by wickedness. Right? We know that is bad company. I'm trying to think of the, there's that famous parable, right? But that bad company tends to drag you down rather than you lift it up. And I think this is important, especially for our young people in the church. Like, your friends matter. They have more influence over you than you think. And good and godly friends lift you up, while ungodly and bad friends drag you down. You know, Jesus said we're to be in the world, but not of it. And David is not being influenced by this wickedness. And then David continues to confess his innocence in verses 6 through 8. And now he's, he's positively speaking about what he is doing. In verse 6, he speaks of the fact that his hands are washed in innocence. That he goes around the altar of the Lord. And really here, he's, he's just speaking of being ceremonially clean before the Lord. Good evening. We have uh, some service sheets right over there, if you'd like. Uh, sorry, right here. I'll get you right there. No, that's fine. We're looking at Psalm 26. 
and it's printed in there. Yeah, yeah. So David in Psalm 26, in verse 6, he's speaking about being ceremonially clean. In the Old Testament, the priests, when they would come into the tabernacle or the temple, they would have to, to wash themselves to symbolize that they are, are, are clean as they're coming into God's holy presence. And so here David is speaking metaphorically that he is clean, that he's not covered. His hands are not covered in blood as if he's a, a murderer or one who is engaged in wickedness, that he has not lied or murdered, that he's not acting in the way in which these wicked men in verses 4 through 5 are acting. And then David speaks of even coming all the way to the altar, to the presence of God himself. And as an aside, it's interesting to think of David's life when you know fully what it says about him. Because David actually was guilty of murder. David was guilty of adultery. David was guilty of lying and disobeying God. And yet here he speaks of being clean, of being able to come into the presence of the Lord. It's just interesting to think about that, that David is very clearly pictured in the scriptures as a sinner and not actually just a regular sinner like you and me, but a, 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 someone who sins in such a capacity that has such ramifications for the people of God. And yet he can speak of being clean and able to be in the presence of the Lord. And as we'll see later, that simply is, is that he has actually just found forgiveness of his sins. And though he doesn't fully know it, he has been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of Jesus Christ, though he only understands it in part. Well, in verse 7, he speaks of just the, the joy of coming into God's presence, that it, since it generates joy for him. That, Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your gl glory dwells. That he is proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling of God's wonderful deeds. It's just clearly he's speaking of worship here. That he who has been cleansed and forgiven is coming into God's presence to rejoice, to praise God, to be thankful to what God has done. And he recounts God's mighty deeds. I mean, indeed, that's what we do every Sunday. We gather to thank God, to praise him, and to recount his mighty and wonderful deeds. And we see that this is clearly, he's indicating worship in verse 8. That he, he, you know, if David were speaking today, he would be saying, oh, how I long and how I love to be in your church, to be with your people, to be gathered on the Lord's day, to sing praises to God, to hear from God's word. Oh, how I love to be in the place where your glory dwells. Really, verse 8 should be in a way in which we think of coming to church Every Sunday, not as a duty, though we're commanded to, but as a delight, as a great joy. And whether Sunday you think of it as the end of the week or the beginning, it's either the, the highlight of the week or the joyful start of a new one. And here again, David then cries out more. There again, there's this situation that he's involved in where his life is, it, it seems to be somewhat in danger. And there's sin and sinners around him. In verses 9 through 10, he calls upon God once more. And he says, do not sweep away my soul with the sinners, nor, with the, nor my life with bloodthirsty men. He's calling upon God now to search him out, to know that there is a difference in, in the way in which he trusts and believes, and then the way in which he acts. 
that all of these things that may are being spoken about him are false, but David is here proclaiming the truth. And he asks to not be swept away. We think of when we, we looked at uh, the, the flood in, in the time of Noah, that if it wasn't for God's mercy and God's intervention, Noah and his family would have been swept away. And David says, he's praying, God, remember when you come in your judgment, remember me. Remember that I belong to you and I do not belong to this group of evildoers. In verse 10, David speaks of those whose hands, those whose hands are, are full of evil devices, those whose right hands are full of bribes. And you remember in verse 6, David said, my hands, I wash them in innocence. But here we have those who, whose hands are, are stained with evil. They have delighted and determined to do and, and are ready to do all manner of evil. And that brings us to verses 11 through 12, where David then, ending his prayer, he speaks of the way in which he will continue to walk. And I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. And then the strong confession at the end, my foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. And again, just like Psalm 25, the situation that David finds himself in doesn't seem to be clearly resolved. He's still struggling. He's still dealing with the effects of, of these folks who are, are, are speaking lies about him, who are after his life. And yet he says, well, I will continue to walk in integrity. Though he's slandered, hunted, and wounded by evil men, he holds fast to his integrity and trusts in the Lord. And that is because the Lord is leading him. He's continuing down this path, as we saw in Psalm 25. And actually, in Psalm 23, the Lord is the great shepherd leading his people. And so verse 12, it allows David, though even he's still crying out to the Lord, it allows him to trust that his trust is not misplaced, that he stands firm, that his foot stands on level ground in the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. Unlike the congregation of the wicked in verse 5, David speaks about the fact that he is among the righteous. He is among God's people and in the midst of them proclaiming God's goodness. And it's from this place of security he blesses God. And again, this idea that he is speaking well of God. He is proclaiming God's name, his goodness, and his faithfulness. And so as we look at this psalm, I mean, simply, it is a, a psalm in which David cries out to the Lord, but in the midst of it takes hope and joy in being in the presence of God. And at the center of the psalm are, are two confessions. It brings us all the way back to Psalm 1, where David says, I do not walk, I do not stand, I do not sit with wicked men. Instead, David washes his hands in innocence and delights in the presence of God. He has walked in integrity, and he will walk in integrity, firm, firmly secure and trusting in God. And again, we think back to Psalm 25 in David's life, that David is a sinful man. I mean, his two major episodes are recorded in his life, the, the sin of Bathsheba and of murdering her husband. And there's another episode where David disobeys directly God's given commands to, to number and to take a census of the Levites. Both of these were grave sins with grave repercussions in David's life and for God's people. 
And so how is it that David can come into the presence of the Lord and simply put it, it's because he had faith ultimately in the Lord Jesus Christ, though he only knew it in shadowy form that we know much clearer that David was washed clean, that David had experienced forgiveness, that the Holy Spirit was at work in David's life. And as we've read in Ephesians, what God had started in David's life, God would finish. And that is how David can pray and confess and, and ask the Lord to prove and to search him, to cry out to him, to be vindicated, to be judged, to be saved. Not because David is in himself this righteous, wonderful person, but rather God is steadfast and firm in all that he does. The book of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews chapter 9. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purity of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. David just saw the the sacrifice of the animals, the external purification, but he looked in faith to a God who could cleanse and, and, and really fix the inside, the internal problems of sin in his life. And we have recorded for us these prayers then that we as believers can pray. That through the Lord Jesus Christ, this greater high priest, we can come into the presence of God. Not just the earthly presence of his ark, but into the the heavenly throne room of God. That we can rejoice in being with the people of God. Being with the saints, those are the holy ones, the ones who are set apart. That we can pray in times of distress, that we can trust in God. And especially in the light of the New Testament, right? God himself stepping down into humanity. Jesus experienced slander. Jesus was mistreated. And Jesus was ultimately swept away and numbered among the wicked. So that we might find life, forgiveness, and freedom. And so this psalm, it it acts as as a prayer then of those who have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb who by the power of the Spirit, walking, and mind you, it's not perfect. We're not perfect, but we can still walk in integrity. The fruits of the Spirit can still be present in our life. And that we can then rejoice and worship God's presence. Really, every Saturday night, this this psalm should be in some sense on our mind as we think about coming into worship on Sunday. That, Lord, we have walked in integrity that we want to speak of your wondrous deeds, that we want to proclaim thanksgiving aloud, that we want to come into your presence, that we stand now because of Jesus Christ on level ground and in the great assembly we will bless the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that this should be our prayer, but also for those who are, are being slandered, for those who are in difficult situations, this prayer is a great reminder that what the Lord Jesus Christ has gone through in order that we might have hope and life everlasting. And ultimately, that the Lord Jesus knows what we're going through. He himself suffered so that he is sympathetic to our plight. And I think this prayer reminds us that the Lord cares for his people. 
The Lord redeems his people, and the Lord will ultimately vindicate his people, just as Jesus was raised to new life. So all those who trust in him will be, will be raised in the same way. So let us take hope that we have access to God in Jesus Christ this evening. Amen. Let us pray. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres, that's P-R-E-S dot co dot